0: Welcome to the podcast of MotorWeek, television's original automotive magazine. MotorWeek is made possible by TireRack.com, WeatherTech, Hum by Verizon, RockAuto.com, and State Farm. Here's your MotorWeek Podcast host, John Davis. Thank you, Alec Webb. Welcome, everyone, to MotorWeek Podcast number 174. I'm John Davis, and joining me today at MotorWeek World Headquarters is writer-producer, Brian Robinson. Hello, John. Road test producer, Ben Davis. Hi, guys. Online content coordinator, Greg Carlos. That's me. And video (laughs) producer and editor, Joe Ligo. Howdy we got a lot of cover, we've got cars, a few questions, even we're going to see if anyone has a rant or a rape today. And let's start though with some of the cars that we recently uh, took down to our winter testing facility down in Roebling Road, uh, Roebling Roads near Savannah, Georgia. Uh, Ford Mustang GT, it had the performance pack uh, one on it. Go around the table. What'd you think of it, Brian? What is the performance
1: mm. pack? Uh,
2: just add some performance-oriented stuff like Brembo brakes, uh, mm. some uh, nicer wheel and tire.
1: I think so, they'd have brakes for s- days, didn't stuff them? like mm. that.
2: Spoiler. Uh, there's a new, and then what's there's new? There's Actually, a two also right. Year, what's right. new this year is optional Magna Ride suspension, which comes standard in performance pack
0: two. Uh, so, but it was. A, it certainly was. I thought probably the most secure Mustang on a track i would driven since maybe the last Shelby. I mean, it was pretty impressive.
2: Absolutely. For that uh, track, and compared to the other hardware we had there, like Lamborghinis and Porsches, I mean, it felt great on that track. And as Ben said, the brakes were uh, really good. The new transmission, it's easier to use. Gearing was perfect for the track. Uh, For being just a GT Mustang, not like a Shelby or anything else, uh, it was pretty phenomenal, really.
3: Craig? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was really happy with it. I drove the um, this Mustang when I was in Malibu along with the Expedition, and uh, I drove a uh, 10-speed automatic there. And originally, I was kind of bummed that we, we didn't get it on the track just because I wanted to try a new transmission, mm-hmm. especially one with so many gears on the track. But then, as soon as I started driving this one around, I just forgot all about it. I thought it, it was so it, much. I mean, just the interplay with the car—it's still was terrific. A, it's still a new six-speed manual yep. transmission. I mean, because it is—it had to account for the extra torque that the engine's putting out. I thought the pedal placement was great. I was nailing all of my downshifts in it. Uh, the, like Brian said, the gearing was a little bit odd to me. It, it was good, but I always felt there's when we come onto the straight. I was waiting longer to get into fifth gear. It just seemed like a really tall gear, and it just revs a lot longer than you think a hmm. uh, V8 should. But it sounds great, and uh, really just a nice package, I thought. It
4: does sound good. It sounds so, good, and, when, whether you're inside, you're inside out. or out, outside the car. It does sound real good. And from a streetable perspective, uh, I did some drive-by shots with it for the camera. It's... It's so easy to drive for being a manual transmission because for, you know, you're pulling into parking lots, turn around, driving back in front of the camera and that kind of thing. And it just – I could have driven it all day. I was not – there was no fatigue from from that even in stop-and-go traffic. And we had a couple other manual transmission cars, and I I think that Mustang might have been one of the easier ones, if not the easiest, to just drive around town.
0: We also had two other cars there that basically could be considered direct competitors, or at least in the same um, genre, the pony car. Uh,
4: All very different takes. They're very, on the very same different. Theme.
0: And let's so let's switch and talk about the uh, Camaro ZL1 One LE. Uh, Brian, give us a quick primer on what the 1LE does to the ZL1. Uh,
2: So we've had regular Camaro uh, 1LEs, which is basically just a handling package, and then we've had the ZL1 there at Roebling last year. Uh, Now you can add the 1LE package on top of the ZL1, uh, which is really a bunch of aero treatments uh, and um, some some suspension uh, tweaks. And... Uh, it it was super fun on the track, no doubt. Probably one of the most capable
0: cars we had. Really solid. I mean, amazingly solid. I
2: can't say without driving them back to back Mm -hmm. how much better it was than the regular ZL1. Just because that one felt pretty amazing too.
0: But I think you know it wasn't. It's not a direct competitor to the GT with the performance pack. It's a couple of steps above. But what struck me was since they went to the um, ATS chassis, just how solid. It just doesn't feel like your traditional pony type car or like any Camaro I'd ever
3: driven before. So anybody else? Okay. Yeah. Go ahead. I was going to say it's a, it's a car that's easy to drive fast. It yeah. it's intimidating to look at. But as soon as you get your first lap in, that intimidation goes right away because Of that extra aero, and it's not often on a car, at least in my driving capability, that I can tell the difference in aerodynamics. But this thing over the ZL1 was absolutely more locked down and tied to the track. And I even noticed it going down the straight. uh, I remember hitting closer to 170 at the end of the straight in the ZL1 last year. This one, I couldn't quite get there because it had to have been, and there are different factors, but I have to attribute most of it to the extra arrow. You just couldn't get up to the top speed, but you and make up chick- for it in the corners. Not just chickening out, right? Yeah, no, no, I mean, I was hitting all my same braking points, but <laughs> yeah, it's, that was a car that I really enjoyed every lap I had in it.
0: Is it twice the car that that Mustang GT
3: with the performance
0: pack was? Because it's twice the price.
2: Right, yeah. Well, the engine certainly it's got two hundred more horsepower yeah. that that alone might be worth the uh it's a part a good a good yeah, piece of that for
1: sure yeah, <clears throat> yeah for anything? the for the record, the no, price no. on the
4: g t starts around thirty five
1: and the z l one starts around seventy so mm-hmm. that's the I didn't get as much time in it as these guys did, but
0: uh it was still pretty impressive yeah absolutely on the absolute flip side of the coin was the dodge challenger s r t hellcat mm-hmm. wide body, so you know it's here you've got basically. How can I say it without – it's a straight-line car on a racetrack. And it was well, – I thought it was pretty impressive for what it is. Big, heavy machine. The Hellcat certainly was. And then
2: the Demon more on top of it. This is – It's the Demon
0: this, body work. On this is Hellcat. an
2: attempt to make it less of a straight-line car and more of a road course car due to wider tires and mm-hmm. some suspension tweaks. in the front. And uh, – also new electric power steering, which I think may have had a bigger difference than, than the wider tires. It definitely felt better uh, on the track as far as the grip level. And uh, but there's still so much power there, you're constantly trying to keep control of the car, still, which to many people <laughs> can be fun. It was yeah, a, have an interesting story, it. <laughs> it was a
0: thrill ride. I mean, it was kind of like being in an amusement park, it was like that thing would do any just about anything it, you wanted to. It
3: actually teaches you a lot about the driving, car control, dynamic. exactly. Yeah, you yeah. understand weight transfer and sure things do. like that, so for sure. Go ahead, Ben.
0: <laughs>
3: well, ben, Ben's got a story. First Here we go. lap
1: of the day. Um, huh. At the very first uh, session of cars going around the track, it was probably like 40 degrees. Two-mile road was course, like nine 30s. corners,
0: 40 degrees.
1: I'm gingerly coming out of a, a turn, uh, feathering it out to the rumbles, and all of a sudden the thing just leaves the track on me <laughs> and just doesn't want to stop in the sand. <laughs> Sprouted and just,
0: wings and wanted to fly. It's just
1: flying towards the woods. And I've been <laughs> off there before a couple of times, but man, that definitely that redefined <laughs> fear to me, yeah.
0: Anyone from FCA to be respected. Saying it did not go into the woods. No. Warm up the tires
1: is the key here, children.
4: What what impresses me is I shot exterior footage for the for the car for the road test and how much mileage Dodge has gotten out of that bodywork because it's almost the same as it was from like two thousand nine. And people still love it. I still they love do. it. I was shooting it and I was thinking, how are they gonna
3: you know, eventually they'll have to change it. Well, but yeah, that's well. certainly played into it because there are so many people who love that style. I can't tell you but, the amount of people who see that and say, like, oh, that's their dream car, yeah, as a is. Challenger.
4: You compare it to a, a must, how much the Mustang has changed since since two thousand nine and. I don't know. I, I still love it, but I do wonder how much longer. It is so big. It's big, just another, It's
0: lower, longer, wider. It's the American car dream from the 1960s I brought mean, back the, to life. The
4: doors on that thing are like billboards. They're enormous. Couple it's comfortable more, to drive. A few, more, yes. uh, a
1: few new de- decal kits can carry that thing another five years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so. yeah, some stripes. Bold some. new graphics. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> okay, the one new car the that's on our list today that we did not have there, and Greg is the uh, has the experience. And it, it's the all new and really I think that name uh, that applies Jeep Wrangler for 2018, the most new Wrangler in several decades. So, and
4: this one actually does go into the woods.
3: This one does. You want to take this one into the woods at a, <laughs> at a nice pace or on some rocks, as I was able to do with the Jeep. They invited me out to um, Tucson, I think. I can't remember. There was a big rock pile out there, so we got Tucson. to te- test some Rubicons going up and down some uh, some serious off-roading. It's compared to some other uh, events that I've done. Uh, but, yeah, so when you look at it, it's not exactly uh, drastically new style, and I think that's the way that Jeep that's, wanted it. They, they learned the lesson with, the, with the Cherokee, from Mercedes. Think, yeah. You don't want oh, to change wow. too much yeah. of an icon, but they did make some changes if you look closely enough. They uh, paid a homage to the CJ where they cut into the slotted grill with the headlights mm-hmm. a little bit. I think that's a pretty nice touch. Uh, they've widened some things out. They've lengthened it a little bit. Um, big news is in the powertrain department. There's a new 3.6-liter uh, uh, V6. And then they have the turbo 2-liter four-cylinder, which I actually thought was pretty nice um, that's I, not
4: available to the public yet not but yet you were able to drive it at the event right yeah, yeah, yeah the 3.6 is the standard right, yeah. yeah.
3: right. Yeah. 3.6 was definitely more powerful in terms of horsepower better top end but that 2-liter is really torquey, and and I like that. And I'm, it's something I've gotten used to now with the advancement of turbocharged engines. You're just used to torquey performance. You can only get the 2-liter with an automatic, though, which it is a new 8-speed, right? Yes, life, yeah. new 8-speed. So,
2: but, you know, off-roaders it, want that manual.
0: Is it more civilized? Because I look at it, and I sat in it, and you've got a much nicer interior. You've got all sorts of features, like much easier to use fabric tops. I mean, like... Hugely, like not even comparison to the old Blindside, snap and zipper blind spot monitoring, blind spot monitoring. <laughs> has it lost its appeal by becoming more of a mainstream vehicle?
3: That is a good question. I've never been a huge Jeep Wrangler person, but I could see there's definitely an argument there that could be made to say that it has lost its edge because you get in and it. Is like what would be considered luxury 10 years ago. I mean, Mm -hmm. there's you got big screens, you got all this technology, but I like how they still kept some of that Wrangler DNA inside, maybe even to a fault at some point. They have like exposed screws and things. Still take the doors off, still lower the windshield. Yeah, you can still lower the windshield, right? But there's things like the heritage old images of the Willie's Jeeps. On the shifter, right. which is a little corny stuff, a little hokey, really yeah. love that stuff, <laughs> Which you don't need to do on a Wrangler. Years, you can do it yeah. on a Compass, sure, but on a Wrangler, I mean, that is, yeah, is the real that thing. That is it. It's the real McCoy. I'm sure. I'm sure being Sorry.
2: Sorry. friendlier to drive or whatever point we're trying to make. I don't think. Most Jeep buyers, most Wrangler buyers, aren't what we think of as the traditional Wrangler buyers. I mean, since they went to four doors, I mean, it's just people using them as a regular SUV. It's it's by far
0: the dominant uh, body style.
2: Here's what they should do.
1: I agree with you 100%. But um, why doesn't SRT just bring out a hardcore, straight-up, off-road, rock-crawl version of of the Wrangler? Yeah, like a next-level Rubicon. People who say they're, Mm -hmm. you know— Claim they're that kind of Jeep guy can just look at it, say awesome, and not buy it. <laughs> so, and there's more engines
4: on the way, right? Yeah. There's well, has got to be a hybrid. Eco, yeah, there's yeah.
3: a. Actually, technically, I think the um, it's a, it's a mild hybrid system has now a, has as it the, is. Uh, yeah, 48 volt electrical system. Yeah, but eventually there will be a plug-in hybrid, so they say, and then plug-in the plug-in hybrid eco diesel will be coming down the road. Pretty well, soon. for Europe
0: for Europe consumption and Chinese consumption, they'll need it. Mm. Yeah, you know, that this is now Jeep is is FCA's global brand. Do you, you think know, that's, Do you uh, think that's it a would,
4: uh, an electric motor would be great at off roading because you can kind of have more control over it? Maybe like if you're going real slow.
0: Well,
2: yeah, you'd only have limited use of it. You know, yeah. before you got to recharge it. Yeah,
1: mm. uh, you could definitely afford water real deep with it. Yeah, you that- <laughs> wouldn't have
0: to worry about snorkel anymore. Yeah. Okay. Uh, as long okay. as sure all components
2: don't do well underwater, yeah. you say, it's as pretty, cool. pretty As yeah. long as
4: all those <laughs> submarines <laughs> are submarines, <laughs> electric. Yeah. No, yeah, as you can say, as long as I'm all those wires the are coated and, and <laughs> covered and waterproofed.
0: All right, we digress. Let's move on to our viewer question. Jack from Marietta, Georgia. The temperature here usually gets about freezing during the day, and water from the melted snow freezes at night, creating black ice. A road that appears to be dry may have patches of ice, making it dangerous. Will self-driving cars detect these patches of ice, and what is their strategy for safety on slippery roads?
2: That's a good question. Mm.
0: That's a great question. I will tell you that most of the semi-autonomous systems that we're driving now have not been very good at detecting black ice because they're using primarily cameras. I would suspect that a total self-driving vehicle would be using not only you know exterior sensors like that but wheel sensors that would detect rotational speeds and you have to also remember that you know a purely self-driving car will likely never exceed the speed limit or be very close to it at all times, where an awful lot of problems that people get on black ice is when they're you know driving fairly recklessly or as if it's dry. Yeah. But it's a great question. I'm sure that's one of many obstacles that has to be uh, surmounted. So yeah. far, I don't think they're there.
4: I, I thought about this on, on my way in today, and I was thinking a lot of the cars we have now – all have temperature readings in them, and if it's below thirty, they warn you with a little warning on there. It says, below, you know, look for if ice. it's
0: below forty, they start. And they say look them.
4: for ice, but then the other thing I thought of is. If these cars aren't just using cameras, but some kind of LIDAR or lasers Which or that kind of thing, yeah. or you know some kind of infrared vision, then they can probably see more than your eyes can see. And they can say, oh, that patch of road is a lower mm-hmm. temperature or something. Now, I don't know if there's cars out now that do that, but in the future. And then also, we've known for years that ABS and traction control respond way faster than a human ever could anyways. So I think they may not be there yet. But I think all it takes is one smart company to kind of connect the dots between better cameras than human eyes and better response time than human you know human reactions, and it won't be long before it's a non-issue.
0: You know, but when you hit black ice, as all of us have done, you know, you're you're just driving along and you think you know what you're doing, and all of a sudden, one side or the other of the car is out of control. So it's it's one of those situations that. Machines may well be able to do it better than we ever could because yeah. they'll simply have more information.
4: But I think salt is the thing that worries me because it obscures road markings, it covers up sensors. It, well, I think the, salt. The semi-autonomous
0: systems that we've tested now don't work in those mm-hmm. conditions.
4: Right, because you know you get that you get the free freezing days with no snow where you just have dry salt all over everything yeah. and lane departure quits working and everything quits. So that, I think I'm much more worried about residue than it would be the ice itself. Residue.
0: Residue. Well put,
4: Joseph. Where Thank you, do. Jack.
0: I hope that, uh, probably doesn't answer your question, but, I uh, hope you enjoyed, uh, we enjoyed you asking it. Let's put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> um, rant, rave. Anybody got anything? We just came back from a long road trip. Uh, Anything that you noticed along the way that particularly stuck out? Another Ben <laughs> You're story. You laughing
1: at my speeding ticket? <laughs>
0: Ah oh, man, barely a speeding ticket. <laughs> what? Well, <Now>, okay, now <laughs> look. In your defense, <laughs> sure. you yeah. were using the radar cruise control, set at eighty, and you were following another vehicle. I was a much bigger vehicle
1: at at eighty, and yeah. you
0: and you got the ticket.
1: And I got pulled over for eighty-one, and I was going no faster or slower than the car I was radar locked to that was in front of me, which happened to be an eighteen-wheeler.
0: And you were in the back, right? No, I was driving. No, no, no! Oh, you were the last vehicle in the chain <laughs>
1: driving from the backseat. Um, yeah. I, so I, I therefore, honestly you don't got, know the car in front of him. Yeah, I was. I was.
3: Yeah, but it's not like you. I mean, it was an assault covered, I'm sure, gray CX9, right?
1: Yeah. And it was only doing eighty-one and up seventy.
3: What's well, all it was in Virginia, right?
0: Yeah, that's it's all what about happened. the revenue. It happens just, to just all be of lucky us. You're not in jail. It happens to all of us. It's yeah. a reminder. S- speed limits. Are signs that are to be heated one way or the other, depending on your personal choice. <laughs> All right, I think we're going to wrap this podcast up. I want to thank our audio engineer, Jim Bigwood, our podcast creator Bob Mixter. Uh, around the table, our writer producer Brian Robinson, Road test producer Ben Davis, online content coordinator Greg Carlos, video producer and editor Joe LIGO, myself, John Davis. Thank you very much. Remember. You can catch MotorWeek on public TV stations around the country, also on the Velocity channel. Our website, by the way, MotorWeek.org, under the About the Show tab at the top, has a new station finder uh, program that works much, much better. Stick in your zip code. You'll get the times and dates of all the stations in your area that carry us. Till next time, thanks for watching and listening to MotorWeek. We'll see you next time. You've been listening to the podcast of MotorWeek television's original automotive magazine. MotorWeek is made possible by TireRack.com, WeatherTech, Hum by Verizon, RockAuto.com, and State Farm. For additional information on podcasts, videos, and showtimes, visit our website at MotorWeek.org. And watch MotorWeek, television's longest-running automotive magazine series, each week on your local PBS station.